0: I'm Shannon. I'm Mark. And this is Dirt Sailor, the podcast. You can find us on Podbean, Apple, and Spotify. We also have Facebook and Instagram pages under Dirt Sailor Podcast. Happy Throat Punch Thursday.
1: Well, happy Throat Punch Thursday.
0: How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing all right. Thank you for asking. So for our listeners, if you are in the Fresno-Clovis-Sanger general area, Hero Sports is putting on a, a banquet dinner, and Dirt Sailor the Podcast is a sponsor of one of the tables, so our fellow veterans can enjoy themselves for an evening of fun, laughter, raffles, dancing, Drinks and dinner, if you're into that sort of thing. So, on the 24th of September, Hero Sports is putting on their annual banquet.
1: That's incredible. It's going to be a fun night.
0: Yes. So, we hope everybody who attends enjoys. And if you're thinking about doing something in the evening and you're looking for a fun activity, highly recommend Hero Sports.
1: Absolutely. So much to talk about.
0: So much to talk about. The list keeps growing. It seems like we just have a lot going on in our our city, in our state, country, in the world, and we just want to bring you a glimpse of what is going on.
1: I'm looking forward to it.
0: And let's start with a local Fresno story. So... It turns out that Fresno has been participating in uh, placing cameras all over the city, or at least in certain areas. And those cameras actually focus on reading license plates.
1: Ooh, we're starting to get like England.
0: Yes, and so they um, these license plate readers go through every car that passes by on camera. And if your plate um, is pinged as one being on one uh, their hot list of vehicles, it sends over the match to the police. It alerts law enforcement officers. So it can help. They, they claim it can help finding stolen vehicles, finding suspects, witnesses, or victims. And it's a concentration of resources. So police officers aren't scanning and inputting the license plates themselves, but an automatic reader is helping out.
1: Well, that's a pretty good tool or technique, as long as it doesn't cross over into any civil rights violations of anybody.
0: Unfortunately, you know, as with anything, there can be an abuse of power. uh, uh, Who can add to the list of, of hot plates, so to speak? Can a... Uh, a person who has access to the system, put in a plate of somebody. They want to know where they're going and see if they're going to certain areas of town or visiting certain people. I mean, I can just foresee. Oh, you mean
1: like following a spouse? Yes. If they might be having an affair? Yes. Oh, okay.
0: I don't know. That's just where I I know there's like a a level of good. Oh, we can find stolen vehicles. Find your stolen vehicle sooner. We could find suspects. Same thing, but then there's always that element of what else can they do with it.
1: And there's always an element that will carry it further. One thing about Fresno politicians, for the most part, uh, we actually elect some pretty good people and police officers, so we do a pretty good job of policing ourselves, so to speak.
0: Well, I certainly hope so.
1: So where did you source that from?
0: That was in a... Uh, Your Central Valley News.
1: Okay, cool. I really like the fact that you and I both go out of our way to make sure we use multiple sources when we look at stuff. We don't just look at the popular news outlets like Fox or CNN or NBC or MSNBC or CBS. Uh, We'll actually do like um, I do, and I'll go actually to Sky News because I actually like to look at foreign sources to see if they're looking at things through the same prism that we are.
0: Right. Their lens is usually different than what ours is.
1: We're not going after one particular news source that we aren't on this podcast leaning right or left. We're actually in search of great news, great stories, and the truth.
0: Yeah, we're definitely in search of the truth. I do. I personally like to read over as many news sources on the same topic and it's not just a, a political perspective. Sometimes you see, um, let's just say, a an accident happens, and several, and it's on a major freeway. Maybe it got backed up or something, and several different outlets run a story on said accident. Each outlet might have gleaned a little different piece of what happened. So sometimes you can read each of the stories and then actually pull out a more like a fuller picture of what was going on.
1: And that's kind of why eyewitnesses are the worst witnesses generally speaking.
0: Yeah, and there was actually another recent story locally. They're they're looking for a truck driver because he rear-ended a vehicle and then took off. So it's a hit and run. And the um, individual who was hit, small car, doesn't believe that in that particular town the police have enough resources to fully investigate who it was, try and find it, them, and then for this individual to either go after their insurance or their, to have some sort of repercussions for the hit and run. So this individual actually started going to local areas trying to see if they had any surveillance. And one of the pieces of surveillance that was first to hit the news was sort of a drive-up look, like a, a drive through And so all you see is the hit that pushed the car into the parking lot. And then the truck takes off. So then you have people who are speculating, oh, did they slam on their brakes and the truck hit them? Or what What could have happened? So you have all this speculation But then when I read another news article, it said that the person was actually able to find multiple pieces of surveillance. And you can see that the person is at a stop. And then apparently they didn't go fast enough from when the light changed for this person, this truck driver. The truck driver actually hit them three times, like trying to push them out of their way. So it's just interesting. Mm. On one little angle, you hear, oh, it looks like they tried to slow down and get the truck to hit them for insurance scam. But then you get the whole thing by reading other news sources that says, oh, no, they had multiple surveillance views um, from people's surveillance cameras. And the whole story is they were trying to, you know, go off the line from a green light and the truck was impatient and just rammed them out of the way.
1: Well, and that's why you always have to wait until the full story comes in or out whether it's politics in D.C., Sacramento, local politics, um, car accidents, whatever the case may be, because you may have someone that's uh, bent on ruining somebody else, and they'll create a faux story, and they'll carry that faux story for four or five years, and it pits uh, politicians, Democrat and Republican against each other, it pits family members against each other it pits friends against each other and then when the uh, truth comes out in the wash it was nothing as originally discovered
0: right and some there is actually some statistical evidence that is supporting that if somebody sees a fact check and that fact check says not truthful uh, or truthful so you have a claim and then you have a fact check that more people are less likely to notice that the story has changed in the future. And if they do notice, they still believe the fact check,
1: the original, the original
0: fact check when it, um, in fact was wrong.
1: And isn't it amazing how two individuals can look at the exact same thing, no matter what that thing is and come up with a diametrically opposed opinion as to what they saw, what happened, who did it and why it happened.
0: it's interesting what sticks in our brain and why. Like why what in our brain, <laughs> I wish I knew more about the brain, but what in our brain causes one story to stick in my head from my viewpoint and then another person to have another story that's in their head from their viewpoint?
1: I think a lot of it's upbringing and learned traits because if you have somebody, say, that grows up years ago, say 100 years ago, in a bigoted or racist society – they're going to see a robbery or an accident or something totally different from your neighbor across the street who was raised in a totally different manner by a different set of parents.
0: That's an interesting thought point.
1: Yes. Thank you. I'm starting to see a lot of that though with modern day politicians and people, it seems like we're digressing and going back 40 or 50 years. We have a, I think she's a mayor. Or a governor in New Orleans.
0: I believe you're going to start talking about the mayor of New Orleans.
1: Yes. And she's been caught flying on the public dole in first class. And her response when she got caught was, it's unsafe for a black woman to fly in coach. Well, if that was factual... It would be all over the news all the time. A story like that would not go unnoticed if young women were being harassed on airplanes in coach, if they were of color.
0: So it's funny that you bring that particular story up. I did actually see and is the mayor of New Orleans this storyline where she is refusing to pay back the fare difference. So what the their government requires when traveling, so we're talking local area government. So um, just for awareness, like the federal government has its own standards, state, local, they have their own standards of what they're willing to pay for and when they're willing to pay for it. So for New Orleans, they will pay for the cheapest economy ticket. If you wish to upgrade your seat, you are allowed to do so. But the fair difference is at your own expense. What she did was fly out of the United States and do foreign travel, and she booked first class, and her whole tour was something like $30,000 in tickets, and she's refusing to pay back the fair difference between what a coach seat would have cost the government and what the first class ticket cost the government which is required and this is something that even the federal government will allow you to do. Um I've flown before and you can when you go and you check in, they'll sometimes offer you upgrade to first class for XYZ number of dollars. You can do that, but the the federal government will not reimburse you. You that's out of your own pocket.
1: Which makes sense. And they should only be able to fly or be reimbursed for what the revenue stream is that that particular county, city, or state brings in. And if she was on a business trip and she was going to generate, say, $10 million in some kind of new company or something moving to New Orleans, I'm sure that the constituents would have said, we're all in. However, it sounds like it was a vacation. I'm not sure.
0: Oh, I... It did say it was business. Well, the article, if 100% factual, and my looking into what their requirements were for, for flying, because just as an aside, for some individuals, if your flight is over a certain length of time or you have a medical need, like for a federal government, they will allow you the, and pay for the business class seat or for, usually not first class seat unless it's a... A two two classes of service, but they will pay for the next class of service. There was no mention that it was a need, and she is claiming now the need is an African-American woman cannot safely fly in coach.
1: It's amazing that she's a leader of a pretty good-sized community, and she won't come out and say, okay, I'll pay it back, I made a mistake. And it doesn't matter whether she's male, female, Republican, Democrat. If New Orleans rules are X, which you've clearly stated, then she needs to pay the money back. Plain and simple.
0: Absolutely. And if while well, she's an elected mayor, so I'm sure they still have ethics reviews and things like that. I'm not sure what sort of punishment and how long it will take to met out if it is found that she does need to reimburse and they don't accept her claim?
1: Well, I would make her pay it back. And her punishment would be that from now on, if she wants to fly, somebody in her office has to book her flight for her and pay it with the city credit card. She is not allowed to book her own flights. She's not allowed take to.
0: Take away the pay. mayor's credit card. I'm yes. pretty sure she booked it herself and then yes. ran her own card. Yes, I would take. Or not her own right. personal card. But I
1: would take that away. That would be her punishment maybe not throughout her entire term but, but i would take no it away longer, from her yes
0: yeah she no longer has the ability to book her own travel which would make sense
1: absolutely so um, another interesting story kind of along the lines of a mayor or a governor is a lady that's running for mayor of, of los, los angeles. angeles
0: oh my goodness what are you reading are you reading my notes
1: i've been sneaking behind you while you were typing your notes up on your ipad see i have my paper ipad out here tonight it's interesting that She gets broken into into her home. They were able to identify that it was a Mexican male. How they did that through a mask, I have no idea. Goes in her house. They know him? Yes. She has cash laying around according to her and jewelry and valuable, we'll just say kitchenware, things like that. None of that was touched. Only a locked Safe, a Brinks gun safe, or a Brinks safe.
0: They said it was a Brinks safe? Yes. So, a lock safe.
1: So, uh, number one, how did the perp know there was guns in there?
0: Um, okay, so, hear me out. Okay. California just accidentally released the info on a bunch of Individuals who lawfully own guns and have their concealed carry. In order to get a concealed carry, you register the gun with it and they just had a data I think they're calling it a database breach, but they published the names online. They breached their own database. So I don't know that she was on it. But just a little theory here, other than if somebody personally knows her well, and conspiracy knows that. She theories,
1: ha- I wanna know.
0: And knows that she has guns, if it's not someone that already knows her. It could be someone who is rifling through that information on the, because it had addresses on it, too. Point
1: well taken. But apparently, she's owned these guns for 40 years, or they've been in the family, or she's had them that long. They were legally bought, but I don't believe they're recently registered.
0: Which, if they've changed hands, depending on the year that they changed yes. hands, they were required to go through For the registration. to get a permit. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Unless she's had it since before the required period. Then, unless she registered them under concealed carry, which they would be registered. So, there goes my theory. Yep, you took that conspiracy well, theory. Well, also,
1: lo- like a local, her uh, uh, nationwide news guy said today, if they pop up at her campaign office, and we know it's somebody she knows, he said that basically tongue in cheek, but
0: yeah, well, I just find it funny that she's running for the mayor of Los Angeles, and I believe she's running on a Democrat-leaning ticket. Yes, and
1: she's a strong Anti-gun. gun control advocate.
0: A lot of people, though, seem to be strongly opposed to either the police, to guns, etc., but then they use those very things themselves. So she had guns, and she's opposed, or she's wanting gun control. There, How many of these elected officials... And officials who are or attempted elected officials, people who are running for office, say that they want to defund the police and they want police officers to go. Some even say they want 100% wipe out the police force. They don't want a police force anymore. But yet they are personally paying, um, well, personally their uh, campaigns are paying for security, armed security. Armed security guards. So they are, they are pr- getting what they don't want you to have.
1: And a lot of those guys, and I'm not taking away anything from normal, what they used to call rent-a-cops, or normal security. Their normal security for hire? Yes, their security are former military and former police officers and sheriffs.
0: Well, and some of them are actually moonlighting, too, depending on the jurisdiction. So they are current police officers who have been given permission to moonlight as security officers as well. So they are armed. They have their... They're gun licenses. So let's keep on California for a bit.
1: Well, since we're sitting in the middle of the state, we might as well.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about a a bad, potential bad uh, sheriff's officer. A California sheriff's deputy is suspected of a double homicide in Northern California. So he has been arrested in Northern California. Not sure if you heard about that.
1: I did not, but it kind of parallels the one I did hear about today. I wonder if that sheriff's still getting paid because there's a politician in Nevada, I believe it's the Las Vegas area, that's going to be potentially charged for killing a news reporter.
0: Oh, yeah, a Democrat elected official who was getting in, it was an investigative journalist who was uh, running some pieces on this individual.
1: And he's still getting his salary.
0: I guess technically you're not guilty yet.
1: Well, and that goes to the no cash bail, right? Isn't that why they're doing things like that? Because supposedly our system, you're innocent until proven guilty.
0: In our system, you're innocent until proven guilty unless you're in New York, where if you have a gun lawfully, you're guilty until you prove that you're lawfully carrying the gun. NYPD has a standing policy that if a person has a gun, you treat it as if it's unlawful. They're unlawful, and they must prove that they are in fact lawfully holding it, you know, carrying or being in possession of a gun. So we would like to think that our society is innocent until proven guilty, in which case the guy should be paid until it is proven in a court that he is in fact guilty of the crime he is uh, said to have committed.
1: Well, and I always thought that the scales of justice were equal because that little statue shows them equally across. But it's obvious by how we let some of our politicians skate on some of the stuff they do that the scales of justice are not equal. But the uh, mayor of Chicago is happy because January 2023 is when they implement their full 100% no cash bail. They feel that the policy will stop systemic racism. And I don't know if it's racism per se that they're really looking at. What they're looking at is if somebody goes and say, you and I both get thrown in jail for the same crime. You come from the poor side of town. I come from the middle class side of town. And the judge sets my bail at thousand bucks. And I have the money I can bail out. You, on the other hand, don't have the money, so you have to sit in jail until your court hearing, depending on the severity of the crime. Is that racism, or is this that just your economic standing?
0: So that would be an economic standing, and the tie-in to that is they are saying that systemic racism has led to a class-based issue as well, because most people of color, the claim is, are more likely to be socioeconomically disadvantaged, uh, especially those who are living in inner cities, or as you noted, the poor side of town, that redlining and other things have caused people to not be able to grow out of their circumstances. And with that, They tie all of that in together, so it's really a a really big conversation to have on that, um, which we won't be doing at this time. (laughs) We'll have to make a whole podcast out of that sometime. But in this particular case, they're saying that no money bail would mean that the person is taken, you take account for that person and their likelihood either to be a repeat criminal or their likelihood of um, impacting society negatively, and then they make decisions based on that. But that alone, if they make real decisions on whether or not somebody is likely to commit another crime versus if they only take the crime that they've committed into account, the, the current claimed you know crime, you could have different outcomes too. So it just depends on what they're going to put behind whether or not they let somebody out. Because they're saying that even if you have all the money in the world, depending on the crime, you might not even be let out.
1: Correct. And that's some of the communities and some of the laws. Um, They've added two dozen crimes to a list of serious charges. Now, this is some phrase that kind of hit me, was a judge could not will impose cash bail. They include sex trafficking, grand larceny, second degree burglary, vehicular assault, and any crime that results in death. And it bothered me when the article said that the judge could, not that he or she would, impo- impose a cash bail. So there is a website, it's called Red. It's called Rehabilitation Enables Dreams. It's a little bit long, but let me read it to you because it was very interesting. It ties exactly into your socioeconomic condition and i guess rikers island is really bad notorious for holding over people longer than they should
0: even longer that's why uh, just as your rikers island people will plead guilty to the crime because they have already been held longer than what they would be sentenced to and they didn't do it but getting their day in court takes much longer okay and here's that's
1: okay and here's an example of a young man Khalif browder an innocent person held in pre pre-tri- trial detention. He was a sixteen year old boy from New York City. He was accused of stealing a book bag, and even though he was sixteen, he was sent to the notoriously violent adult jail Rikers Island. While awaiting a court decision on his case, Khalif has not deemed a danger, was not deemed a danger to society, and was granted bail. But as he came from a poor family who did not have the money to pay his bail, he sat there for three years in Rikers Island on pretrial detention awaiting the court's ruling. While incarcerated, he was beaten numerous times by inmates and guards, and he was placed in solitary confinement where depression and anxiety started to consume this young man. He was ultimately found not guilty, but by then, the damage had been done. Khalif came home, struggling with depression, anxiety, and PTSD from his experience in Rikers Island. Two years after his release, the lasting weight of that negative experience became too much for him to bear, and he took his own life. After his sad passing, celebrities like Jay-Z and John Legend have advocated for reform to the cash bail system citing that he was a perfect example of what we cannot allow to happen in our justice system here in the United States of America.
0: Yeah, so going off of that, and it is a very sad state of affairs in many of our jurisdictions, having no money bail in and of itself, cashless bail in and of itself, is not a bad thing. It can be a very helpful useful good thing that young man that child he was a child he was 16 that child could have been at home at the most an ankle monitor but keep in mind those cost money too you have to pay for the ankle monitor and you have to pay for the monthly charges in many jurisdictions so that might not have even been an option for him unless it was covered you know by the state itself uh, the cost of it, but we can have individuals who are wrongly arrested and they can't get out, as just noted. But if we take into account what crime they committed, what their whole history is, um, their, their support system can be taken into account too, but that shouldn't be that, oh, you have a good support system, we'll let you out, oh, you have a bad support system, we're not going to help you. No, we take more resources and help that person. Because to me, the whole idea behind our system is that it is restorative and it reduces recidivism. So, yes, it's going to cost us a little more money. But how much did it cost us keeping him locked up or in New York, keeping him locked up for three years for a petty crime?
1: Way more than a petty crime, for sure. Not only that. I'm sorry for interrupting you, but I'm sure that that county probably had to pay for his funeral expenses as well.
0: Oh, because he um, maybe
1: because he may ha- have come from a family that couldn't afford the funeral, funeral expenses for him.
0: But it just it to me it just shows that our answer isn't either or, cash cash system, cashless system. There should be a wide variety of factors, and we should be looking at the end. What is our end goal? Less crime, less recidivism. We want people who are more involved in our society, positive influences, positive impacts. So why don't we look at it from that standpoint? What's our end goal? Instead of straight punishment-oriented society, oh, you got caught up, you must be guilty, or I don't care about you because you're in jail, I don't have to think about you. It's not my problem. But instead, let's look at how we can help society as a whole.
1: Absolutely. And it sounds like we need to look into Rikers as well because they seem to have an issue there because that's not the first story I've heard about people being held there for months and months and months. Years. Or yes, or being beaten, you know, all, all the above. And it's, pr- it's like the homeless, putting them in a home isn't the solution. No cash bail, is not the solution because we keep hearing now stories of people like this uh, Garcon or whatever his name is down in LA, the DA letting folks out that are doing far more serious crimes than just petty theft.
0: Right. They say letting everybody out somehow is the solution. That's not the solution either. We do need to take our system into account. So we have the right to a speedy trial Uh, I would say three years is a revocation of rights. So we have the right to a speedy trial. Let's just make it happen. How can we make sure that it happens?
1: How can we have a true speedy trial? And how can we get through things without having people pleading guilty when they're not guilty or they haven't been proven guilty yet just because they've been in there longer than the original crime would have punished them for?
0: Right, and, how, and I know there are some people out there who would say, I would never plead guilty to a crime I didn't commit. Do you think if you're in a jail where people beat you, whether it's the fellow inmates or the guards, and you're not receiving adequate medical care, you're not receiving any sort of education, I'm not sure if at 16 he was receiving an education, which he should have been, They should have had him in school and you're not receiving any care. You get put in a a confinement. I think it says that he was in solitary confinement at some point. So you end up in solitary confinement and that has proven to impact people negatively with their mental health that you would just say, oh, I don't care the number of years for committing claimed, you know, petty crime that would get you two days in jail. You're willing to sit there for three years with your mental health deteriorating, getting beaten, worried about getting stabbed, worried about having all of your stuff taken, your family can't be there, you're missing every milestone, your child's milestones, family members are ill, and you would just say, "Ah." Eh. I'll, I'll keep sitting here. Well, I just don't think, I know it's easy to say, but I don't think people actually think about the true consequence.
1: Right, and I actually hope that the three articles I read on this are actually factually accurate, that this young man didn't have a history of crime and violence, you know, growing up maybe potentially in a bad neighborhood, and they were trying to make him look like.
0: They were probably scapegoating him. Uh, I'm... And you're going the opposite way of, like, maybe he was a bad kid and he had a lot Just of Just playing devil's history.
1: advocate. I'm not insinuating that at all in any way, shape, or form.
0: But what was his claimed crime again?
1: Stealing a book bag from school.
0: So, stealing a book bag, typically at a school. I mean, he would have been in high school. So, stealing a book bag, unless there were some Gucci shoes... And a bunch of diamond tennis bracelets in there. There was nothing in that book bag that would make it any more than a petty theft. And the reality is, in a school, you would hope that they would handle that internally. But if they have a school resource officer, maybe they were called. That led to an investigation. But a petty theft. Nowhere is a petty theft, which is a misdemeanor punishable by more than a year in jail.
1: Correct. So along with zero cash bails, there's been some recent decisions handed down by the 11th Circuit. Do you know where they're at by chance?
0: Oh, my brain is going blank. I'm going to say back east, but...
1: Well, kind of. Atlanta, Georgia. One of their decisions basically said that they reject the assertion that setting monetary bail discriminates against the indigent and violates the constitutional right of certain individuals. And that was actually a recent decision, but it was July 29th, where they overturned a federal judge's decision holding that the bail system in Coleman County, Atlanta, was unconstitutional, which they found that it was not, that you could hold people, even if they did not have money, you could hold them over for trial, which I found very interesting.
0: That is interesting. And by the way, in New York, uh, petty larceny is a Class A misdemeanor, which means that there is no mandatory prison sentence. If you are convicted of this charge, you may be sentenced to two or three years probation and a fine as high as $1,000. However, you can be sentenced to up to a year in county or city jail. So after his first year, but he was also a minor, so he can't sign anything. So he would have needed someone... To help him through that, which would be his lawyer that was appointed and any guardian that may have been appointed through the system. So he, for a crime that would have gotten an adult a year, a kid spent three.
1: There's something wrong with Rikers Island. So don't you have a degree in criminal justice?
0: That I do as well as a, well, I have a bachelor's degree in criminal justice and a master's degree in education but an emphasis on criminal justice for adult education.
1: Awesome. That's why I'm so smart. Thank you for educating me. Ha ha. Ha ha ha. So, professor of criminal justice at John Jay College in New York City, article in U.S. Law Week, she talks about zero bail and the rise in crime nationwide and how it is not the result of zero bail. What she's saying is it's gamemanship between Democrats and Republicans that they're never going to let a crisis go to waste. And that was something that Winston Churchill coined and has been repeated over the years by Rahm Emanuel.
0: Oh, to never let a a crisis go to waste? Never let
1: a crisis go to waste, whether it's gun violence or whatever the case may be. You see it, you target it, you go after it, you make it yours.
0: I would have to say that they've been, they being the politicians, right and left, have uh, definitely used that any and every single time that they can. Right, left, center.
1: Absolutely. So, California, we've been having trouble with uh, power, yes?
0: Yes, we get our, what they term as flex alerts to let us know that our consumption is too high, us being all of California. And to reduce our consumption, it used to be between 4 and 9 p.m. And then they extended it 3 to 9 p.m. And then they extended it 3 to 10 p.m. So stop doing laundry. (laughs) Don't wash your dishes.
1: Don't charge your car. Don't
0: charge your car. Don't do anything. Pre-cool your house, much like our Governor Newsom apparently does because he was wearing quite the hefty fleece jacket while telling everybody else to please conserve power
1: yes so i had to do a little bit of research as i do and i went outside the country to sky news to see what they had to say about our power crisis here in california so the operator of california's power grid has asked people to conserve energy like you just said for the sixth day in a row as the state swelters in record-breaking temperatures The California Independent System Operator, or ISO, said there could be rolling blackouts in the state if the guidance in the flex alerts isn't followed.
0: And we have had uh, our local area did receive some blackouts.
1: And everything else that you said is basically right here. But can I do this like one of the YouTubers that I follow does? And for more of the story. So I had to dive into California's grid. Do you know how big our power grid is in California?
0: 12 solar panels big. That's why we're always out of power.
1: 11 and a half. It's okay. huge. So I pulled a 2018 study and it rolled into 2020, which is one of the most recent studies. And it breaks down every single power plant, how we get power, whether it's geothermal, nuclear, solar, wh- whatever the case may be, propane, natural gas, imported, exported. We have over 1,500 power plants in California.
0: Okay, I'm surprised to hear that number. I didn't know how many it was. I know I often hear that we had to pull from out-of-state resources, buy power from out-of-state places because we couldn't generate enough. I did know that there's hydroelectric dams, and we had one nuclear power plant still left.
1: Well, excuse me if I'm shaking my papers because it's about 15 thick because i pulled all the numbers. So California in-state generation, GWH gigawatts. That's almost like the movie with the DeLorean. So we generate 194,842 gigawatt hours in California. When you take all of the power we bring into the state, plus ours, it's 285,488. 1,500 power plants, that kind of power, and we're actually going backwards because they say because of our usage that has been going down over the last couple years, we're not buying as much, but they're happy we're making it that everybody's doing solar at home and we're doing wind generation out in the desert. I didn't look at the total number of usage to match it with what our output is, but I think there's some voodoo magic going on here because that is a lot of power.
0: We have to keep in mind that we have more people here than we've had in years past. I know they said 2021, I think we started losing people uh, to other states, 2020, 2021, 2022, we're losing people to other states, but we have millions and millions and millions of people in California. Over the last several years, we have made laws that, require us to use electric over other sources. For instance, new homes are supposed to have electric stoves and not gas. We're requiring solar panels to go on but then we're not putting enough on the home to overtake all of the consumption. but I have to imagine that the solar panels on homes has helped to generate a decent amount but right. we don't always have sun.
1: Right give me one second I'll tell you exactly how much. Here's a part of the article I didn't read to you, and I apologize for the paper noise. California's total generation was 285,488 gigawatts, and that's down 2%. This was a 2018 figure, down 2%, or 6,549 gigawatt hours from 2017. California's non CO2 emitting electric generation categories, nuclear, Hydroelectric and renewables account for 53% of the generation compared to 56% in 2017. As a result, in state generation, it's dropped by 6% to 194,842. This decrease was due in part to reduced generation from hydroelectric power plants as dry conditions returned to the state. However, the overall decline observed in California's total electric system from 2018 on is consistent with the trends observed in energy demand which means our demand in California is going down we still have the power there so why are we having these rolling blackouts
0: if our demand is down if our
1: demand is down
0: that's a good question
1: solar generation here's what you were asking for btm generation was estimated to be 13,582 gigawatt hours or 20% or a 20% increase from 2017 the strong growth in solar pv has had a measurable impact on utility service load and consequently on the total system electric generation summary. Which means then that, yes, like you said, the more solar that's going on houses, we may be getting uh, an unfair shake from the local utilities as to what we get paid back or what type of system we could. But it, it on paper, it's showing that it's helping immensely with the grid.
0: Yeah, and speaking of what you get paid back for so they charge depending on your tier usage 30 cents to 40 like 45 cents and more per kilowatt hour that you use but if you produce more than you consume throughout the year they'll pay you back at five cents
1: so you want to get into some more foreign news
0: Let's talk about what's happening outside of the United States.
1: Let's go to Sweden.
0: They're having an energy problem, too.
1: They're having an energy problem, and they also are having an election that's very, very close right now. And it's interesting that, you know, they always call people over here the far-right loons. Well, guess what? The far-right over in Sweden are Democrats. And right now, the far right, Sweden Democrats, appear to be closer to causing a huge upset in the country's neck-and-neck election cliffhanger because it's weird the way they elect their government is dependent on who gets the majority of the votes. Then they get to pick a large portion of of their government.
0: The UK does that as well. So the current prime minister was the party official of the party that won the most votes.
1: It's interesting. They call this far-right group the Populist Anti-Immigration Party, which emerged from the neo-Nazi movement in the late 1980s. And they've been able to increase their polling in the last nine elections. But what they've done is all of the white supremacist-type people they had in their party, they booted them out. So they're trying to become a legitimate party. It's just interesting that overseas, right-wing is Democrat, left-wing is conservative and Republican and we're the opposite here.
0: That is really interesting to note.
1: It is. So when they call people over there right wing extremists, you know they're not talking about Republicans.
0: Yeah. That is good to know. Just thought it, it was cool. That is cool.
1: So in a little bit of military news, we had a lieutenant colonel serving in the, hundred, actually, yeah, lieutenant colonel serving in the 101st Airborne. In the intelligence division, young man, if he's a lieutenant colonel, recently died of, in parentheses, natural causes.
0: We have a lot of natural cause deaths that are out there in the last uh, year and a half.
1: He had quite a resume, though, I'll tell you, and he had recently returned and completed a tour with the joint staff at the Pentagon and returned to Fort Campbell, Kentucky, He's been an infantry officer since 2004. He deployed to Iraq once with the 101st and deployed to Afghanistan six times during his tours with the 173rd Airborne Brigade, 75th Rage Regiment, and the 10th Mountain Division. So he was a well-decorated officer, Purple Heart winner and such, and they just claimed it as natural causes. No woman or man in their 30s or 40s or 50s dies of natural causes, sorry.
0: Well, I guess it's natural if you just die, right? Is that sure. what they're going with?
1: that's what they're going with.
0: That's crazy. So in other military news, kind of a interesting case. So there was a gentleman who used someone else's I- identity so he could re-enlist in the Army, and then he kept using the identity after he um, got out of the Army. So I guess what had happened was he served in the US Army under his his name, but he had some conduct issues during his service. So he did not receive a reenlistment code that would show eligibility to re enlist in the army. So he got out. He still wanted to serve. So he took somebody else's identity, went back to the military and enlisted. Which was a re enlistment, but it's a new identity. Enlisted under the new identity. And then he served with good conduct during that period of service. But I guess after he got out, he remained using that identity that he had taken. And he was eventually caught as a 60 year old man 33 years after he used it because he. Um, was filing for passports. He was, was stationed overseas in Germany and then decided to continue living there, so he was going to the passport office for a passport. And an individual who was filing for health benefits, the one with the, whose identity got stolen, he was listed as being a former military member, so he wasn't eligible for the health care that he was applying for, and that particular individual never served. So, it was all pieced together, and then they confronted the identity theft suspect, and he just, he admitted to it, he pled guilty to it, he was sentenced to a 100 hours of community service, and it was because he wanted to continue serving in the Army, and he would arguably did better the second time.
1: Interesting story. (laughs) Wow. That's like a -a made-for-a-movie script. Holy cow.
0: Do you know who Fat Leonard is?
1: I do not.
0: So, Fat Leonard, as he was dubbed, um, there was a military contractor who pled guilty to orchestrating the Fat Leonard co- corruption scandal. And he was under house arrest in San Diego and he was cooperating with the government. So he created this big scam that ultimately he would use money to pay off military officials to give information on, say, where ships were going to port. So that way he could apply for contracts, be the best contract, and get money from it. So there were kickbacks involved. He would uh, pay in cash with uh, objects, per you know, just all kinds of things that people wanted as gifts including prostitutes um and so this individual it was a multi-million dollar scam that he was running or I should say scheme because he would actually provide the services but he was doing it with kickbacks and other people who would try to bid for the contracts wouldn't get it because of the the scheme that he was running he's been on house arrest four years And I guess he just decided he couldn't do it anymore and he cut off his ankle monitor and now he's in the wind.
1: Wow. So have you been following the queen death and all the things that have been taking place?
0: So I've been uh, seeing different things posted about the queen passing. I, I had heard that she was sick and then she passed away pretty soon after that and I knew... Just from little readings here and there that her son would be king pretty much, you know, the instant she died, he became king by virtue of their law. And so there have been little postings about her lying in in their state, like lying in state and how all of that would go down. But is there anything a little more specific?
1: Well, yeah, I just was kind of reading some news articles. And of course, people always have to dive into the money and what's going on with the monarch and how things will transfer, power transfers, money transfers. Do you realize that they don't have to pay capital? Well, he will not have to pay capital gains.
0: So anything that is inherited that belongs to the crown, there, no, he won't have to pay because technically it is by virtue of their law. It never changed hands. It always belongs to the monarchy.
1: Do you know when that law was put into place? When? 1993.
0: So while she was... Yes. That's interesting. But if anything that she owns individually, that if she passes to her, any relative or any friend or whoever she wants to pass anything to, they will have to pay Well, why do 40, I even
1: need to talk about this? You know 40% all already. 40%. Sorry, apparently
0: I've read a little yeah, bit more are than I thought. They will
1: have to pay 40% in inheritance taxes. I guess the... I can't say this word. Do you see it? A duchy, duché of Lancaster, the estate? The duchy. Duchy. Is that what, how you do it? Okay, I'm sorry. D- I mean,
0: no, that's how I would say it if I'm wrong. The
1: duchy, that could be correct. I do not it's know. It's like
0: the, the duchy of Cornwall or something like that. Uh,
1: yeah, so according to the rule introduced in 1993 by the UK government, said inheritance tax does not have to be paid on the transfer from one sovereign to another. It's currently valued at 652 would be million lira? Is that what their monetary is?
0: No, pound.
1: Pound? So the L denotes pound? That's a pound, yeah. Okay, so 652 million pounds.
0: Yes. And that is because they're saying that it belongs to the, the whole monarchy itself, and so it's not actually changing hands. That's an interesting one, though, because if they had to pay at 40%, I mean, that would have been over 240 million pounds.
1: Yes, the monarch is not legally obligated to pay any tax in the United Kingdom but the queen being as cool and as good as she was she started to pay income and capital gains taxes on her own in 1993 and Charles is expected to do the same and like you just stated a minute ago anyone other than the king will have to pay capital gains tax or inheritance tax
0: yeah the expectation is that a lot of it will just stay with the crown there's the crown jewels you can actually go visit the location where they have a bunch of the jewels on display
1: and do you know that's one of the reasons they keep the monarchy intact is because of all the money it generates by all the millions of visitors that go over to England every year oh and i think you were one of them
0: uh in 2016 i my family and i went on a vacation and got to see the crown jewels in person
1: Awesome. Through glass. That's awesome, though. I don't totally agree with the monarchy because I don't think that anybody's better than anybody else. And I would not want to be called a commoner, which I'm called a commoner here in the States.
0: Well, we're a part of the common folk because we aren't the rich ruling elite here in the U.S. Uh, We might not have a class system, but we have a class system. And I want
1: to talk about a handful of elites in Congress here in a minute after I do this here first. So give me the definition of a pandemic.
0: I believe it has to do with the total number of infections across the globe when it hits a certain percentage or moves at a certain speed. And it has such a debilitating effect on people that we enter the pandemic phase.
1: You are so close. It's unreal. This is through Oxford languages. It's an adjective, obviously, of a degree prevalent over a whole country or the world. So let's talk about some numbers real quick. I know we've talked about the pandemic and some of the doctors and the shot and all that, but this is kind of a little bit different angle because I'm always looking for something different because I'm a simple guy. Do you know how many people die annually around the world?
0: A hundred million.
1: 50 to 60 million. Oh, I
0: overstated it. Yes.
1: So weekly, just weekly, 48,700. Oh, Scott, I'm sorry. This is Daily. 48,742 died daily of heart disease. 26,181 of cancers. Okay, and then it breaks down into all kinds of other stuff, diabetes and on and on and on. Just the one number, 48,742. The COVID-19 peak was April 13th through the 19th of 2021.
0: So it took about a year to peak. Yes.
1: 7,504 or 1,072 died per day for one week. Okay, that was the highest number.
0: That was the highest number, okay. Yes. And that was about a year and a half after it technically started. Since yes, and
1: I, I sourced that by the hidden. global burden of disease. So based on Oxford's interpretation of a pandemic and other dictionaries, encyclopedias, whatever... Should we not deem heart disease a pandemic?
0: I would think that it is.
1: Just by their very definition. Not taking away anything from how serious COVID was. None of the previous COVIDs or the SARS, none of that. However, we have things far more serious right now than this global pandemic called SARS-CoV-2.
0: And from what I am gathering and what I understand, they are keeping it around as a pandemic because with emergency powers, nation heads can make decisions and enact certain things that they couldn't do if it was no longer considered a pandemic. So it would be interesting, though, if they said, "Okay, this pandemic has ended. Oh, but we have another pandemic. Let's use these emergency powers. They could keep it going by still declaring that it's an emergency.
1: Absolutely. But I just think we need to look at, we always use that term, to sum total of the parts. We need to look at everything because there's a lot of folks dying annually. And we're not really, I mean, we're trying to treat heart disease and stuff through education and, and things like that, but we're obviously not going far enough. When a global pandemic that they scared to live in bejesus out of everybody that we're all going to die. Um, we have things that are far worse and are still far worse and are going to be far worse since SARS CoV 2 is gone or is reduced to an endemic stage and we have it totally under control.
0: One of the things I've been reading up on, uh, just personally, because I happen to like the subject, is statistics and figures and how we come to know certain things or how we come to arrive at the information that we have. So when SARS CoV 2 was hitting across the world. The numbers that they were using were only those who were inside the hospital to start. Because if you weren't that sick, you were told to stay home. If you got worse, you were told to go to the hospital. There was nowhere else for you to go. A lot of places quit treating people in general because we were scared. We didn't know what it was. But the statistics that were originally assigned to the death rate were solely based on the people in the hospitals who were the ones getting tested because they were now hospitalized. We didn't have mass testing for anyone really outside of a hospital, and it took a while to even get there. But your number is a hospitalized person, and then how many of those were dying. So the statistics looked really bad. It looked like it was super deadly. But then when you started adding in with mass testing, when you started adding in everyone who was getting it, that was getting tested and getting it, those numbers, the statistics and ratios started changing because now we had more people getting it, not as many people as we thought were getting hospitalized, and then a smaller number were dying. And then we still had to look into why they were dying. Even the definition... And the medical workup of the symptoms somebody has were changing too because they were linking certain symptoms to the disease that actually were unrelated. So then it became even harder to figure out who actually had it and which symptoms were really linked to it. That's why you heard it move from the lungs to the heart to uh, the liver, to the kidneys, to all these different body parts were starting to get incorporated. So just interesting on what statistics did, how the statistics harmed, and then how the statistics actually helped.
1: And I actually have some statistics for you. So I had a pretty awesome discussion with my nephew, your cousin, this past Saturday night. And we were talking about his, I guess it would be his grandma-in-law who's 92-ish, she's lived through the first one and this one. That's one of the reasons that they were vaccinated was to help protect their grandma because they knew they'd be around her and she was up in age. And that is legitimate, but the survivability of people, and here's the true numbers. From 0 to 19 years old, your statistical chance of living through covid 99.997%. 20 to 49, it was 99.98%. 50 to 69 years old, which is where I fall, was 99.5%. That's where he made the comment that, well, I'm in great physical shape for an old fart, so that's probably why I survived it so easily. And then when you get into the 70 plus, that's when your number goes down quite a bit and that's where a lot of these deaths came from was 94.6 percent interesting it's still interesting to this day and we're never going to know until all the empirical data is 100 percent in until we really dive into the origins of this but this gentleman that i looked at his paper his thought process is like a lot of ours which called which deemed us conspiracy theorists and all that was it it was 100 percent synthesized in the wuhan lab because it was a targeted respiratory virus. And it had the shakeout just prior to Omicron coming along. So it was calibrated to do a certain thing, a certain amount of damage. Um, our, our doctors with their MNRA and, and Johnson & Johnson did their best to try to come up with a silver bullet, which now we know the efficacy of those after two or three months was very low, And the more boosters you take, the lower the efficacy is. It goes way down. Yep. They're problematic. They are producing, they're now finding out that they're producing more profound OAS and ADE, resulting in negative efficacy 80% within just a couple, three months. And that number drops even worse with each booster shot. And what they're also finding is all the young lads that are having heart issues and other things from not only from COVID, from the spike protein, but also from the spike protein in some of the shots.
0: Right. And our true numbers need to include the side effect potential of the vaccine. So we won't know fully, like or will we know, will they actually record all of the adverse reactions and be able to tell the difference between getting sick or having a reaction because you got the
1: shot. Yes. And that's exactly the way this, this doctor put it. So let me actually read his words because they are way better than mine. More troublesome is a toxic Wuhan spike protein introduced systematically that also seems to be seems to remain for an elongated time. A Japanese study is showing now nine months post-shots. Some studies are suggesting for life with no cutoff switch. This also readily explains the surge in cardiac-related issues seen now months after the shots. Readily known before release is that no mucosal antibodies are produced and as such, no possible prevention of infection and transmission.
0: Right. And that's what we were sold at the beginning was this would be a, a blocker for you so you won't get it. That's how it would work. And then they changed it to, oh, it appears that you can still get it anyway. And as you talked about the efficacy, depending on how long it's been since and how many uh, follow-up shots you've had it. You may have very limited efficacy once you actually get sick.
1: Well, that's why this thing's so worrisome is because the previous COVID, um, there were not long-term, what they're calling long COVID effects, because the first one they believe was a bat human transfer or an animal human. And generally, when it's an animal human, it turns endemic in a short amount of time because it has a harder time going from, human to human and they have found with this one that's why it was synthetically grown in a lab they're certain is because of how easily it bounced from person to person and the fact that we came up with a vaccine in warp speed
0: right we had operation warp speed but we already had a lot of the, the moving parts so to speak and we had medications that were reappropriated from their current tests of specific diseases they were reallocated for for covid some had better results than others but if you talked about it depending on which one it was you were either a conspiracy theorist and a self-called you know misinformation disinformation supporter and then over time we've seen oh it turns out that scientific inquiry does allow for people to question
1: produces a better product
0: right medications or shots or or what have you versus the placebo you want to be able to have those conversations and a lot of that was taken out of our ability in society you were just a disinformation supporter and even to this day california passed a law i'm not sure if newsom has signed it that says if you espouse misinformation and disinformation as a doctor, you could be targeted and shut down. But if we go back just over the course of the last two, two and a half years, what was once termed disinformation has actually been found to be truthful. So how do you decide, other than political expediency, that something is disinformation i mean it's somebody's opinion and clearly over the last two and a half years we've had a lot of different opinions on the same piece
1: absolutely and this is kind of scared the heck out of some people thinking because uh, polio and Hansen's disease which is leprosy and some other ones that we thought were eradicated through all of our vaccines over the years and that young kids now still have to get vaccinated before they go to school. It's led some people to believe that because some of us or some folks don't believe in 100% just getting a vaccine because a revenue generating company says you should get one. Um, it's, it's factually inaccurate. It's from the heart, not true because there there's no way that, I would have allowed a family member to get it if I felt strongly that it was unsafe.
0: It's funny that you bring up the revenue generating streams So something that should be noted. A lot of these studies that prove the how effective something is come from the company who manufacture that particular shot, medicine, whatever. And they are willing, has been shown in the past, to fudge numbers to make money.
1: And our drug companies, not drug companies, but our drug entities within the government here in the U.S. that are supposedly run by the government, funded by the government, are not. They get most of their funding from Big Pharma.
0: Right. So those studies, that money, that support is a driving factor.
1: Yes. And when those companies have been sued and lost for billions of dollars and a lot of folks have died, it it just leaves you a little hesitant. Absolutely. That's a great thing about America is as individualized humans, we should be allowed to make our own decisions. Boy, we got a lot of people in Congress in California.
0: We do, do we?
1: We do, and guess what? What? We have some rich ones. Really? You betcha.
0: Did they start off rich or did they get rich? Nope,
1: they got rich. They went to school, they got educated, then they went into the government and really started getting wealthy.
0: Right, not with the insider knowledge or anything. They just got smarter.
1: Yeah. Only one with the potential insider knowledge. Well, I just randomly grabbed three just to see, actually four, just to see what kind of money our congressmen who make between one hundred sixty and 220000 a year, what their net worth is.
0: And what did you find?
1: So the 2nd con- Congressional District is a gentleman by the name of Jared D. Huffman. His... Net worth is $10 million. And he's now trying to get his sixth term in Congress.
0: Well, if he's in the House of Representatives, then that would mean that he's only been there for about 10 years. So what's 12?
1: What's 12? Unless you go to Nancy Pelosi, who's now 82 years old, been in Congress for 35 years.
0: Was elected in a special election in nineteen eighty seven. So that was something we had touched on before. It turns out that she was elected in an off year for a special election. So I just want to touch on that.
1: That's awesome. Well, she's the sixth richest congressperson in Congress. Her own personal net worth is one hundred and twenty million. But they say a big part of that, according to the six articles I read today, was because of her husband, who's a hedge fund guy. Who's very very knowledgeable and makes all the right decisions.
0: Not with insider trading. But wait a insider minute. Insider knowledge.
1: Yes, she had just said just here recently that his money is his money.
0: Yeah, they don't talk to each other. He just magically knows things.
1: So, another one. Hmm. One that I really don't much care for. Mr. Adam Schiff.
0: Shifty shift.
1: Shifty shift. His annual salary is two hundred thousand bucks. He was first elected to office in twenty thirteen, so he carried most of his money with him. He carried most of his money with him, or a big portion of it. His net worth is sixty million, which he has forty five million in assets, three million in liabilities and loans. Uh, he's just recently received a million in donation and gifts, and his business income is six million. Another Democrat. And, you know, I figured people think I was being partisan if I didn't pull a Republican. Well, the number one wealthiest congressman is Daryl Issa from Southern California.
0: Oh, really?
1: His net worth is $283.3 million.
0: Does he come from moneyed people?
1: He was a hedge fund manager. Plus, he... No, I think his was... He owned an alarm company, and he was originally the voice in... One of the very rich, uh, very not rich, but very expensive automobiles. But he started that way and then started producing more money in other ways.
0: And then they go into Congress to serve, and manage to manage to grow their wealth.
1: Yes, make even more, more than the two hundred thousand a year salary.
0: Yeah, well, a lot of these guys end up claiming not to use insider knowledge, but they just all happen to either dump the right stock at the right time or buy the right stock at the right time.
1: Well, I believe I did read that Schiff had either 50,000 shares or $50,000 worth of a tech stock that he recently just made some money on.
0: Is that so? Yes. Lucky him. Yes. I, I. One area that I agree with AOC on, we don't agree on a lot, is that no congressperson, no representative should be allowed to hold any single stock. I think that that is a problem. Neither should their primary or close family members, spouse, significant other, should not be allowed to either.
1: So I wonder how many adults in America are eligible to run for office. Millions?
0: Millions. I mean, it's based on whether or not you're a citizen and your age. Depending on what representation we're talking about, twenty-five for Congress. Right. Got to be thirty-five for president. We're right.
1: talking about just strictly, strictly Congress, just simply the House of Representatives, not the Senate. So we have basically the same old tired people being reelected and reelected and reelected. When we have millions that are educated enough. To go back there and do the exact same job, make the exact same decisions they do.
0: Yes, but the powerhouse, the money, all of that, that can actually do control it because they have all the packs, the super PACs, the DNC, the RNC. They all have their people, their money, and they control So we start, what. We
1: start by removing the packs. then first.
0: Well, we have to get Congress to say that the PACs go.
1: So the we dark money is yeah we there force of we force them to remove the money through elections, and then we force them to do term limits through elections, and we correct it. It's that simple, isn't it? Just that fast, just that, that fast.
0: Super that simple. Easy. Let's get it done.
1: See, that's already done. We did it in less than five minutes. Already done.
0: So in the ongoing court battle with Twitter. Elon Musk just received a win, so to speak, against Twitter. A judge ruled that Elon Musk can use evidence from a Twitter whistleblower in his legal case against the company. And that is because the whistleblower came out and said that Twitter was fudging the numbers on how many bots they actually had, which in turn made their, well, their share prices were up and their filings with the government read a certain way and then this whistleblower came out and said no they're lying and so a judge just ruled that Elon Musk can use the whistleblower information
1: interesting how laws work isn't it, and how different levels of justice work so you had a judge there that agreed to that yet you had a whistleblower whistleblow all over to the bidens and the FBI and DOJ suppressed
0: everything
1: 100% of that information. And now from what I understand, the FBI is going around raiding supporters of Trump around the country.
0: That's something that I've heard too that there are some raids that have gone on or some subpoenas that have been going, but Trump has multiple cases against him. So there's different cases with different uh subpoenas and other things going around. But something else that's happening Okay, so there's misinformation, right? What is deemed misinformation, as we were just talking about, in the political world and with Biden, um, Hunter Biden's laptop was deemed misinformation. And so the FBI colluded with big tech to suppress or squash or, you know, de- not demonetize, but Remove the ability to either share the story or to have people see it, etc. On Twitter, if you posted it, I believe they just locked you out of your account and took it down. And they even took down the news organization that was breaking the story. They locked out their account and took everything down. So, with misinfo and disinfo and all of that, there's a lot of apologies that came out. Oops, sorry, it turns out this is real. And now if we reach back to 2016... And we talk about the Trump-Russia collusion. Never really seen that. It's been now revealed that it was all fake. It was a fake dossier funded through the DNC by Hillary Clinton. But when talking about it to this day, it doesn't get the same disinformation categorization. So Joy Behar and Whoopi Goldberg were talking about Trump still claim that he was an illegitimate president. And then when talking about the Trump-Russia collusion and how it was, you know, it wasn't a truthful story and that it was in fact disinformation, they double down and say, "Oh, we don't know that. We don't know that it was truly disinformation. We don't know that it was truly made up. So they're able to still pass along a story to their viewers that has been proven to be disinformation. And somehow, they don't get blocked. They don't get, you know, little labels. They still get to talk. And here we are with, if you bring up anything Biden, we're going to... Well, it's because those blockers
1: like them blockies. That's why.
0: So, a couple of numbers stories. They're not really about numbers, but it is the numbers. Did you know that the White House has Dodge TV interviews for more than 200 days.
1: Yes, I do. You mean the president has not given an interview in 200 days?
0: Correct. I didn't realize how long it had been. Over 200 days. Why not? Because he gets asked questions, and then they have to go through their firestorm of walking back everything he says. So even when he reads his teleprompter, he seems to still get in trouble. And so this is just one level. I don't know if he needs more medication or they don't want certain questions asked because he has really nothing good to say. So
1: Sorry let's use it. let's use this then for Whoopi Goldberg. If he does not have the ability to come out and do a press conference and he has to use a teleprompter 100% of the time, then it gets walked back 100% of the time, then he, Whoopi, is the illegitimate president.
0: I would have to agree. I would have to agree with that, but... Then again, I just don't see how he is the figurehead.
1: Well, I see it as very sad and unfortunate. It's unfortunate for him because the man's wanted to be president, like I've said in previous podcasts, his entire life, probably as a two-year-old. However, he has the mental capacity now of a two-year-old or maybe a little bit older. uh, And he's being led by our former president, Tubac, and all of his staff in Valerie Jarrett and Susan Rice and a couple of other folks.
0: So another number. We are in week 28 of Ukraine's war with Russia. It has been 28 weeks. Mind you, half a year is 26, so we have seen more than half the year of war.
1: And us and a lot of other countries, and that's going to take me off on another tangent here in a minute too. I just, something else just pulled up in my mind talking about money. Um, Countries from all over the world have sent them all kinds of military hardware. Some of the most sophisticated stuff there is out there for killing people and blowing stuff up. And they just had a major offensive and they pushed the Russians out of a town, made them turn tail and run. And it's interesting that when I saw that report, I thought to myself, within five minutes, I'm going, you know what? Russia's just going to retaliate by launching a bunch of missiles into, back into them or into another part of the country, and I'll be darned if two hours later they didn't start launching missile after missile after missile into a town to just decimate it. It's, it's sad. You know, Russia's a bad communist country, but it's sad seeing all these people having to bury their family members by the thousands. It's just, it's very sad. And now my tangent, money. Money. Don't take me wrong. What about it? Don't take me wrong way I'm going to say this. I, I love the fact that people in our country that have wealth are able to adopt children. To me, I still don't understand why we go outside the country. I, I know the answer. This is a rhetorical thing here. I know the answer myself. It's because of the ease of adopting kids that really need to be adopted outside of the country versus how hard our system has made it here within the U.S. And I'll go to a country of Haiti. Just saw an article today that towns in Haiti are some of the most dangerous in the entire world. Then I started looking at some of the money, the monetary things we have sent to Haiti. And other countries, along with us, and even when Bill Clinton and Hillary were driving there and putting stuff in, we've spent hundreds of millions of dollars on that country. And it's no better off now than it was 50 years ago, 75 years ago. I I think it's time that you disband the country. And if you're going to bring people to other countries as people that are in need in the proper term immigration-wise, you would know it better than me, whether they're, it's a hardship, bring them, I I would, I would just disassemble the country and move them out. We would be better served. We would get more bang for our buck. The dollar cost averaging, the value would be much better. I know people there probably love their country, but when is enough enough?
0: So I don't think disbanding would be the answer, but you would quit sending money to the country. Stop participating in the cycle of abuse basically because they're taking the money and clearly it's not turning the country for better and I know uh, it got hit by a big storm a hurricane and then in 2010 and then it got hit by a big earthquake and there's a lot of devastation that has happened in Haiti but If the money being sent isn't being spent well and it's being used by whoever the political ruling party is at that time and it's corrupt, you know, in the corruption, they're just spending it and pilfering it and not making the country better. What would happen if you quit sending money? And then anyone who leaves Haiti and comes to the United States, they can seek asylum.
1: Thank you. That was a term I was looking for, asylum.
0: If they, you know, if there is political asylum or we could even have Congress pass a law, say, hey, Congress, you're in charge of the laws, you're in charge of the immigration. And make a special law for Haiti, you can do that. Well, Congress can do that. The president can sign it. So you can say anyone from Haiti is not subject to any limitations on immigration And if they make it to the United States, we will hand over a permanent resident card, kind of like we did with Cuba, the whole wet foot, dry foot thing. If you step foot on US soil, now mind you, that is not still in place, it's an old law. But if you step foot, we can give you a permanent resident card. So anyone who manages to make it out of Haiti and arrive in the United States, you can sign it into law, file this application. We'll give you status. We can, I mean, the United States really can do anything that it wants. I know there's political parties who would go back and forth on whether or not we should do it, but we could say we will no longer send money to Haiti. The country can exist. I mean, it is its own country. It has its own leadership. They can decide what to do, but it won't be at U.S. taxpayer expense. And then what we will do is say anyone, again, anyone who wants to leave the island and makes it here. Here you go. Stay.
1: You know, and on the other hand, I'm sitting here listening to you speak eloquently, and I'm thinking out of the other side of my little brain, is we can't even take care of our own homeless problem here in America. And then we would be taking on a whole other lot of folks that they would probably be great workers once they got here and got themselves all fired up and stuff. But, you know, (laughs) we cannot take care of our own homeless. Right. The, The fix is a tough shed. It's putting them in a little cardboard box or a shed. And we're spending billions of dollars on them and we can't fix it.
0: Right. We're not fixing the homeless problem. We're not fixing a lot of our problems. We can't look internally and fix, but yet we're sending money all over the world saying, we'll try to fix your problems. We're not fixing any problems. We're just moving money around. So really the solution is to start, I mean, side opinion here, start looking internal at fixing your own problems. If you can't fix your own problems, you can't fix anybody else's either.
1: That was one of the good discussions I had Saturday night is people are either way too far left or way too far right. We have to find a way to work ourselves back towards the center. And I don't know if it's being a centrist or being just one click left of center and one click right of center. But until we can start getting our political, and I do say us personally, but until we start getting our political stuff together, we're never going to fix this.
0: I would have to agree with that if we don't get it together that we are we aren't we aren't going to fix it but if we keep getting pitted against each other we'll have that focus and let everything else go out of focus
1: well see and that's the middle eastern tribal mentality that's why there's so many tribes over there and they don't get along because they've been broken up over the hundreds of years or thousands of years and they just can't bring themselves together no matter how hard you try
0: yeah so one of the anniversaries that we just passed was 911 21 years ago, we had terrorists who hijacked some planes and crashed them into the World Trade Center towers, into the Pentagon, and then one was crashed in Pennsylvania when the people on the flight figured out what was happening and they tried to take the plane back over. So that happened 21 years ago. 10 years ago, Was a different 9 11, which was Benghazi. Something that just came to my attention was that US prosecutors are possibly going to negotiate a plea deal with the 9 11 architect, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, and some of the other co conspirators. Their trials have been in a state of limbo for many years, but 21 years. And we're looking at plea possible plea deals for the people who killed nearly three thousand on US soil.
1: It's a thing about Americans we forget very quickly. And that saying about history repeating itself and you're doomed to repeat it. And if you come in doing the same thing every day, you'll end up with the same result. That's the way us Americans roll, unfortunately. It is. But I would make him part of the 9-11 memorial, by the way. You know, all these new terms, acronyms, the the woke groups, the MAGA groups. What is MAGA anyway?
0: Well, now it's just a term for the people who apparently follow Trump. But anyone who voted for Trump is potentially a MAGA person because they were the Make America Great Again slogan, either on hats or T-shirts and whatnot. So if you supported Trump, clearly you're a bad person.
1: Well, I'm not a bad person. I did vote for him twice, and I voted for him because of my pocketbook, because I'm tired of overtaxation without the proper representation. He lowered taxes. Brought down fuel prices, brought down home prices, did a what I think is a fair job for a guy that admittedly is character flawed, but you know what? You find me one person that's currently alive in this world that isn't character flawed in some shape or form, well then, you, you have found the person.
0: Yep, we all have sins. We all have character flaws. We are not a perfect people. I am not a perfect person. That's for darn sure. But if we expect to elect a perfect person, there will be no one elected because everyone has something.
1: It's going to be like that saying, you're going to be waiting for pigs to fly.
0: This has been a podcast produced and edited by the Dirt Sailor Duo. Mark and Shannon are a father-daughter team who both served in the United States Navy. This production is protected by copyright laws. Until next time, Anchors Away.